Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name's Chris, and I'm joined as ever by Tom. Hello. And Stu's back as well. Hi, I'm back. How's it going? Mm. How are we all? I'm, as usual on a Monday, very tired, but I'm particularly tired because I've just come back from a ski trip. So That'll do it. Uh, it's straight into a day at work, so I am, yeah, cream crackered. Lovely. It, it, it's nearly F1 time. It's pre, it's first preview of the season. I don't know how we're here already, but we are. And it's, I feel very it's, it's, unprepared for a season. Yeah. It, Me too, and I work there. Um, it's weird, isn't it? It's, yeah, I don't. I, uh, I don't feel at all prepared. <laughs> it's felt like a particularly short off-season this time round. Yeah, it really has. But I think it has been, though, because like the last race was like second week of December, and then, you know, before you know it, it's Christmas and New Year. It's true, actually. To be, even then, before you know it, test, first testing's rolling around, or the not first running is, is rolling around. So, yeah, it's just absolutely mental. Uh, we got a few newsy bits to do, and then we'll sort of look at where things are ahead of the season and attempt to make some predictions the hardest set of predictions of the season probably of any season yeah quite probably. possibly so first bit of news that didn't even wait for last week's podcast to be live before getting broken we'd barely edited last week's let alone release oh. it and that is the news that has have re-signed kevin magnuson on a multi-year deal which hmm. we we last week kind of dismissed but uh, I thought you might have done that when I saw the news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it, we do it on purpose. We do it to summon the truth. It's <laughs> just how we roll here. We, de- we deny something is plausible and then it happens and it works every time. A bit like Christian Horner. That is <laughs> Interestingly, it's the second time he's had a year away from F1 and come back, which is, I mean, having one year out of F1 and coming back is near unheard of. So the fact that he's doing <laughs> it twice is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be doing a Hulkenberg next. They'll be coming back for individual races. <laughs> uh, it's cool, though. It's good to see him back. Um, I, th- I feel like it's definitely a good choice for Haas. Yes, I yes, agree. I, th- I think it's, it's a gr- great choice. It's a great choice for Haas. It means that they've got, they're getting that experience in the team, which I think, I think a couple of episodes, I might have even said that that team could have really used some experience. And yeah. They've definitely got it with Magnussen. I think maybe the one negative is that he hasn't. He's gone from Haas, taken a year out, and gone back to Haas. And it might have been beneficial for Haas to have someone who some wasn't fresh eyes. In, yeah, some fresh eyes, someone who wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. in their team in the first instance. But it's still, you know, it's better than what they had. So why not? Yeah, definitely. And I think good for Schumacher as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom uh, had something to say. No, I was just going to say that I think that. One of the main reasons we sort of didn't think it would be him was just more that we thought he'd he'd kind of moved on and had other things set up. But Formula One kind of has that lure, like lure to it, doesn't it? That and he basically if a team said that offers himself, you the drive, that, that you, you're not going to turn it down. Um, and it just makes sense that they've gone back to him. He's a known quantity for them. I think overall for them, he's probably a better fit than Giovinazzi, who has been linked with it. Like we all sort of said, they probably need someone that's got a bit more experience in the sport to come back in to help them and help develop the car alongside Mick. But we all kind of agreed that Giovinazzi didn't kind of fit that because in a, in a way he was still being mentored by Kimi to a degree at times when he's sort of 
too experienced to be a young driver, but not experienced enough to be a mentor, isn't he? Really? Yeah. He's in that uh, or develop the car. He's yeah. like, he's sort of somewhere in the middle. And I think we all kind of agreed that we didn't know if he'd be the right fit, but we could still see it happening because of the options that they had. So I'm actually kind of glad that it's we've been proven wrong and they've brought Magnussen back in, to be honest. Mm. I I didn't think it would happen because Magnussen wouldn't want to. Like he was... Yeah, that was my been thought. Out, been out doing IMSA, winning races. He was supposed to be doing the Sebring 12 hours this weekend. He was signed up to be part of the Peugeot World Endurance Programme. Um, and he basically said himself, like he he thought he was in a really good place and put F1 behind him. And then suddenly F1 was back on the table and he was like, yeah, I miss it. Can't say no to it, which you can't blame him for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, had, he had like two things set up, didn't he? He was, he was going to be doing that and he was, it was linked with um, Chip Ganassi for something. I can't remember exactly what it was now. Yeah, he'd, so he he'd, was he'd got two was, things in place, like the World Endurance and then something with Chip Ganassi. I think he was doing the Sebring 12-hour for Chip Ganassi as like a one-off, but that was like likely going to lead to a more permanent seat, I yeah. think was the plan. Um, so. hmm. It's a bit of a sort of, a bit of a gamble for him, I think, because obviously like if he's already made these plans with people, then he's had to let these people down to take his F1 drive back. Mm. And it's an F1 drive that I don't think is going to be a very particularly long one is it it's, a, yeah, it's probably only a year deal and no well, it's, it's, it's definitely multi-year so it's at least really? two in theory <laughs> <laughs> at least yeah at least well yeah at least two multiple so more than one year um well then you know yeah why not if if i guess a, a big part of the lure is that there's there's new cars to try out isn't yeah. there it's a, it's a fresh yeah. fresh sheet so fresh fresh page so yeah, and, I'm excited to see what he can do. He, he top testing one day as well, didn't he? Yeah, well, I was about to say, and then the the other thing that's probably helped lure him back to the team is the fact that the Haas doesn't look like the back marker it was last season. I mean, obviously there was an obvious reason it was a back marker last season. Yeah, because they didn't upgrade the car at all. They downgraded it, in fact. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> and they he knows full well that you know they have spent time extra time invested into this this new aero formula and he sort of knows what that team was like when they had opportunity to to compete with the midfield like he's he's, he's been in that sort of scenario with them before if you think about it when him and Grosjean were there and the car was actually competitive yeah when they when they were focused in the right places so yeah the, you know there, there was something that he already knows that he can maybe lay a little bit of trust, I guess, into what yeah. you know, that what they're putting on the table in front of him in terms yeah. of an offer and a contract. So he he knows what they're capable of. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they know what he's capable of. So exactly. it's, it's it's a very good match, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's probably yeah. just like a bit of good good vibes within the team as well that that team probably needed after the last season or two they've had and even the last like couple of months they've had like to have someone who seemed to be liked within the team sort of back like that's got to be good for morale within the team as well yeah i think so so yeah yeah good news i'm excited to see how he gets on uh, a couple of other bits. Well, I say bits of driver news. The, the, the next one's kind of almost non-news, but I think it's interesting all the same. Um, so obviously, Ricardo has missed most of the second test after he tested positive for COVID-19. Um, he's sort of expected to still be fine to compete in the Grand Prix this weekend um, within the sort of quarantine rules there are in place. Um 
But yes, when this first happened, McLaren originally said they still have the deal with Mercedes in place where they kind of share their reserves. So Van Dorn and De Vries were on standby. And apparently they also still have an agreement with Paul De Resta if needed. I think he's a, a little rusty in terms of F1 these days, yeah. but apparently they still have that in place. Uh, but off the back of that, Alpine then released a statement saying... In the spirit of offering maximum racing opportunities to our stable of young talent, we've agreed that McLaren may call upon uh, BWT Alpine F1 team reserve driver Oscar Piastri in the event of one of their drivers is unable to race. Oscar will remain fully contracted to Alpine and will retain first options on his services. And it sounds like this wasn't McLaren going desperately looking for a driver. It seems that it was actually Alpine approached McLaren to say, we hear you might be in need of a driver we have one we'd like to get some seat time kind of thing, which is a, it's, it's an interesting move on their part. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know what to make of that. It's, it's quite, it is quite interesting. It's, um, it always seems a bit kind of desperate on Alpine's part. Like mm. we're desperate to get seat time for our driver. And, but we have nowhere to put him. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it points to, if you want to make it a bigger conversation, it points to a bigger problem within Formula 1 that young drivers don't get the opportunities to have seat time these days in the same way they used to. Mm, I think Alpine, they know what they have in him and the fact they've got nowhere to put him is probably worrying them slightly. Because, like, yeah, how long is he going to sit around being a reserve when he's pretty well-renowned as one of the best single-seater drivers sort of in within the F1 circle that doesn't actually have an F1 seat right now. So, um, yeah. It'd yeah. be interesting to see how his career sort of progresses over the next year or so and where, where he ends up, what he, what he does in between. Mm, it really will because, you know, having one year on the sidelines is one thing, but if that becomes two or three years, like that can, you, you quickly become forgotten, don't you, if you end up in that sort of situation. So definitely. Almost happened to Gasly, didn't it? Almost mm. happened to Gasly. Yeah, it did. And look how great Gasly is. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so yeah, right now it's kind of semi-non-news, but it's it's interesting all the same. Yeah, a nice and then, tidbit. Yeah, and then the final driver newsy bit, which is an actual an actual signing, is that McLaren have signed Colton Herter to their F1 test program. So yeah. he is, for those of you who don't know, he's an IndyCar race winner, part of Andretti Autosport. He's 21, I think. He's in his like, third or fourth season, I want to say now. He's won a few races. Um, this basically comes off the back of, which I didn't realize until I saw this story, the rules around F1 testing have changed, presumably because like any older cars are of no use to the current uh, new set of regulations. Basically, they can test uh, cars that are a year old now, whereas before I think cars had to be like three or four years old before they could do sort of free testing yeah. with them. Uh, so because of that, uh, McLaren are putting together a sort of test program for a number of drivers, which they say is to help them evaluate potential future drivers. So yeah, he's going to be driving last year's um, MCL 35M at some point in the next year. Wow. Uh, yeah. Now's a really good time to be doing that because the perform the lap time in the cars is quite similar. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a really, really good way of evaluating and comparing against your current drivers. Yeah, it's really smart. Um, obviously, uh, Pato Award drove the car in last year's young driver test postseason. So I assume he'll be getting some seat time within that um, 
program as well. Be interested to see who else they put out there. Yeah. Um, a little pressure on their current race drivers potentially. I don't think on Nor- Norris, but I think possibly on Ricardo. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, Norris is committed for the next, like, what, four seasons now, I think he's got a contract for, we were t- as we were talking about yeah. last week. But yeah, it's um, it can't help if you're struggling a bit to have all these other drivers as part of the team looking over your shoulder, can it? No, but this is yeah. this is when we release the podcast, and next week we get the shock news that Ricardo is going to like, I don't know, <coughs> Ferrari or whatever. <laughs> like, he's going to go and just go focus on the Paris Dakar rally or something. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there'll be a team where Daniel Ricardo is driven for like just about every team on the grid <laughs> because he, he tends to move every like two to three years, doesn't he? Yeah, so he's like going that way for him. His McLaren contract could quite easily come to an end at the end of this season. And they don't renew that extra year option, and he just ends up like I don't know, at Aston Martin or something. Hmm. It just be I mean, weird, like turn of events, I guess. After drive moves the last few years, like nothing's off the table at this point. <laughs> but yeah, that's it's, again interesting tidbit. Be interested to see how he gets on. Uh, there definitely seems to be a bit of a push, particularly from McLaren, actually, to get some American or at least sort of drivers known in America uh, some talent into F1. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, Cool. Yeah. Right. We normally at this point do sort of storylines leading into predictions and stuff. But given that we've just come out of testing, I thought instead we'd maybe just quickly go through all the teams and just sort of see where we think they are post-testing. I'm not going to bore you by going through all of the times and the miles and stuff, but they're there in the document if either of you want to look at them to reference them for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll go in terms, we'll go in order of best lap times. Top of the pile is Red Bull. Uh, Verstappen on the last day went out on the softest tire and did a lap that was a good half a second faster than anyone else. Um, hmm. It was a, a bit of a flex on the last day from Red Bull. They seemed pretty content with where they were. Um, they had that big upgrade on the last day with some new side pods that seemed to just work straight away. Um, looking pretty good at Red Bull. Looking yeah. pretty yeah. happy. Pretty <clears throat> they strong. do look they look comfortable mm. at the moment. Yeah. Um, they were like fourth in terms of mileage across the two tests. Uh, no real major concerns. Um yeah, I kept saying towards the end of last season that I thought Red Bull were going to have a bit of a stuttered start this year because of how much they threw into last season, and they are already proving me very wrong, Maybe. at least from testing. Maybe, yeah, I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It is, It was only testing. As we say every year, it was only testing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know what weights of fuel everyone's carrying. Like, you know, every all the drivers are sceptical of Mercedes' pace. Yeah, like every, every all the interviews with the drivers, including Max Verstappen, and um, uh, I think I saw an interview with Carlos Sainz saying they look okay. Um, they this happens every year. They say they've got work mm. to do. They say they're not going to win races, and they get to show up to the first race and they yeah. wreck the shop. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if um, this this timing sheet <laughs> is pretty unrepresentative of what, yeah, what the teams are all capable of. Well, speaking of. Second in yeah. terms of timing, we had Haas. 
Um, <laughs> Mick Schumacher went out and did a time on the on a harder tire than Verstappen, uh, about half a second off. Uh, however, it is worth noting that Haas were given some extra hours before and after everyone else to make up for the time they lost on the first day because all of their stuff got stuck in uh, shipping. So oh. they were out on track an hour after everyone else when the conditions were a bit more favourable. So that's yeah. very much worth noting. However, the Haas doesn't look a bad car. Mm. Now no, that I've kind of got everything in place and actually got some decent running in, looks all right. Yeah, I, I think it it bodes well for them to at least be able to um, compete with the midfield, uh, at least. like Because, yes, I mean, ideally they'll want to be as high as possible, but I think that needs to be the solid aim for them is to just get back into the midfield group. Like yeah, even be just not to be, last. Just yeah, be like not just be last. somewhat competitive and you know aiming for regular points finishes and stuff and uh, points finishes full stop really I guess mm-hmm. uh, and and it looks like there's some potential for that and I think the Magnuson thing will over time probably work in favour towards that as well like it, I, th- I think already it is I think yeah. when, when Magnuson shows up on his first day and sticks it on the top of the time sheets during testing yeah they probably you know did a low fuel run to the engine up and give him a bit of a glory run to boost his confidence and help him achieve that but still like you've got got the goods to to do that in the first yeah. place yeah. So it, and you've got the and, car undies to do it as well so yeah so he, they must be feeling with these results like Yes, it's only testing, but you know, if you're Haas, you're probably feeling a lot better than you were at the end of testing last mm. year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're still bottom in terms of mileage across testing this year, which I think is their biggest problem right now. But mm. after the pretty poor tests they've had overall to finish with the second fastest time is is a nice little bump at the end. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like I'm excited it. to see where they are. Uh, third fastest was Ferrari. They pretty much carried on where they left off after Barcelona. They were like there or thereabouts on pace pretty much every day of the test. Um, the only sort of question I've seen posed around them is potentially that car's a little hard on its tires. Some people seem to think. Oh, not again! Not another <laughs> tire muncher. Oh, this is what they, this is. This is the problem they had in two thousand eighteen. Was it yeah. when they were charging? Yeah. Vettel was charging a fast car that eats its tires. Yeah. Oh dear. Wow, Whether there's anything worrying. to that or not remains to be seen. But that, that's that's ba- that's kind of the only potential negative I've really heard around Ferrari. Things are still looking. That's quite a pretty good big negative, though. It still <laughs> looks like the best car. It still looks the coolest car. There's been yes. some pretty odd transformations happen to some cars over the last weeks, but we'll get to that. Uh, next was Alpine. Alonso popped up with the fourth fastest time on the last day. Kind of hard to read. They were pretty nowhere after the first test. They're probably the most improved from Barcelona to Bahrain, but hard to read where Alpine are really at the moment, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're one of those so. teams that are really like inconsistent and difficult to read across a season anyway. So Yeah, yeah, very mixed bag for them, I think, at the moment. Mm. The car, I mean, the car changed colour mid-test and it seemed to get faster when they changed the colour. So hopefully <laughs> when they change it back to blue, it doesn't get slower again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it might. Mm. Yeah, next fastest was... Mercedes, who we need to talk about at a bit more length, because as rumoured, 
they turned up without any side pods, which yeah, which was a surprise. Yeah, very very interesting, isn't it? It's... Yeah. So to give oh, to give you the really dumbed down version of what it is they're essentially doing. Please do, please do. I need it. So <laughs> obviously, a big problem is the dirty air coming from the the tire wake from the front tires. Mm-hmm. Most teams this year are running quite wide side pods, and the approach there is essentially to kind of use the wide side pods to direct that dirty air away from the car to kind of grab it and then funnel it out because air is airflow is sticky, it wants to stick to the surfaces. So they're using the quite far forward wide side pods to sort of direct that air away before it can mess up the air down the rest of the car. Mercedes have gone for the basically complete opposite approach, which is if there isn't any body work for the dirty air to stick to, it'll just go away. Like, let's not bother trying to direct this dirty air anywhere. Let's just get the bodywork completely out of the way of it and not have to worry about it, essentially. That's kind mm. of the the opposite approach they seem to be going for. Right. Um, they're also, because they don't basically have any side pods, they still have to have the crash structure sticking out of the side, which is what those big kind of wing things are. And they're yeah. using a lot of the veins on that and around where the mirror's mounted, to sort of help direct that airflow, direct the dirty air away, and then direct the the better airflow down towards the floor and everything. Yeah. Um, yes, that's essentially what they're doing. It's all, it's all possible because they've been able to mount the radiators really tightly into the chassis. Um, they apparently, apparently have for a few years now, they use a, a water-air intercooler at Mercedes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but this year they've been working with a team called Reaction Engines who are an aerospace company who, um, among other things, build advanced jet engines and rocket engines. And (laughs) so they're supposedly working with them and they just have this like super efficient heat exchange technology that's been worked into the radiators and that's why they're able to... Wow! dig the radiators kind of so far into the monocoque and... You had my curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) And now you've got my attention. This is amazing information. It's fascinating stuff. Um, There was obviously a lot of question marks to start with. There doesn't seem to be at this point in time any real question over the legality of it all. Um, Mm -hmm. the, The mirror mountings are a possible area of dodginess, but then most teams are trying to do something clever with their mirror mountings, so... Um, it's it's funny that Ferrari seem to be the team that are kicking up most of a, well, kicking up most of the questions about Mercedes mirrors. Where if you look at the Ferraris from the last yeah X yeah. seasons, they're like the biggest proponents of oh no, it's a mirror. It's definitely not a wing. Yeah, yeah. I mean they've literally had mirrors banned because of yeah exactly what they were doing with them. Exactly. Well, they had a mounted outboard on like the on the um, barge boards at one point. I yeah, <laughs> and everyone was just like, no, you know, get away with that. But um, yeah, th- there is an interesting bit of like rule information about this as well. So there's there's different parts of the bodywork of the car have different names, and a, a mirror mount, despite being part of the body of the car, is not actually considered bodywork. It's considered mirror shroud or whatever, or mm. mirror mirror elements. 
And um, that's the way they've got around it, I think. It sounds like they're, they're describing a lot of these sort of winglets and things that the mirror is attached to as mirror shrouds or mirror mirror furniture rather than yeah. as bodywork. And there's also like defined areas like 3D box areas as well where, where things are not considered bodywork but are considered kinds of mirror. Um, yeah. Accruciment. <laughs> yeah, another thing I things. another thing I saw on that is that the way the way the rules work, you you define where the mirrors are mounted first, and then you're allowed to build the bodywork around that. So it's kind of it's it those things are checked in order. So yeah. technically, I think the way Mercedes are getting around it is technically the mirror mountings go down and along and connect to the monocoque. It's just yeah. that they then built the bodywork around the crash structure over these imaginary mirror mountings, and that's kind of how they're getting away with it. Um, it's genius. It's so clever. I knew someone had come up with like some crazy... Yeah. So there's always some like mad interpretation of the rules that they never expected. There's already talk of this sort of thing being banned and rewritten, having the rules rewritten for 2023. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they'll get, pro- uh, they, they might get protested, but I, uh, given the relationship between Christian Horner and um, and Toto Wolff, they could well get protested in in uh, Bahrain in a couple of days' time. But well, the the, the talk of that seems to have cooled down a bit because there was the very funny thing on the first day, yeah, when I th- it was I think it was a German publication published Christian Horner saying that's not in the spirit of the rules that that looks illegal to me. And then Red Bull released a thing saying, no, we didn't say that. And then that modified into, if we did say that, it wasn't on the record. So officially we didn't say that. Yeah, and it was just it was very, um, the car that you all saw on the back of a low loader got back to the pit lane under its own steam. It was that kind of uh, yeah. well, it was just, it, use of the, the truth. There was something that bugged me a little bit about that though, because the guy who, 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 who was given the interview is quite a, sort of well-renowned journalist. Yeah, it wasn't just some like random blog, was it? It was a one of the more respected publications yeah, in the yeah. headline. Yeah. And uh, one of, a very respected journalist and he says the opposite of what the Red Bull quote is and they say no it is that categorically that's what he said and they're just lying about it. It's yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, it's it's all a bit sort of school playground, isn't it? A bit really? silly, but, yeah. But hey ho, here we are. Well, for, I mean the proof will be on uh, what on Friday when when they yeah. run for the first time and and after qualifying we'll see if there's a protest. There. <laughs> I mean it for, for all of this. What is genius? Like I don't think anyone expected an F1 car would turn up looking like that. Looking at the times and everything, it's hard to say based on the evidence that it's working so far. And the Mercedes seems to continue to be struggling with poor poising more than most other teams. But as you were saying before, Stu, like we've, we've been here before. We've had this conversation before. This time last year, we were saying, wow, how much are Mercedes struggling? And then yeah. they won the first race. So yeah, just, they only just won the only first just. race. Only just. They did win it. So I'm hesitant to draw too big a conclusion, but it hasn't exactly been peachy for them, has it? No, it's not been perfect. But um, look, I'm optimistic. They've got they've got the two two of the best drivers on. I would say on the grid, mm-hmm. 
Um, so if anything's going to get them out of a sticky situation, if the car's not quite perfect, they've got the two right, right men for the job. Yeah. So I, I think, um, yeah, get, and they've got a really good team who's going to develop it. So if they are struggling, I'm sure they'll be just fine. In a yeah. Time. If you're going to bet on any team to develop themselves out of a hole, it's yeah. going to be and a team like that is what this this season is going to be all about development as well. Forget yes. you yes. know who, whatever the result is on the first race, you are going to see some huge huge swings in performance and in performance in cars relation to each other. So. Yeah, and by the end of the season, we could have a completely different looking grid to what we've got now. So yeah, there's a there's a lot, a lot going to change over the course of this year. Absolutely. 100%. Next fastest, only a few tenths off the man who replaced him on two steps harder attire was Valtteri Bottas for Alfa Romeo. <laughs> um, difficult, another difficult one to read. That had a few stoppages on track. The quote from Bottas after testing was. At the moment now, the biggest concern is getting the race distance done. We've had multiple different kinds of issues, uh, these tests, but we've always been able to fix them and we hope there are no issues coming up. So it doesn't sound like it's one issue they've got, it's multiple things. Um, yeah, they're, they're down with Haas on the low mileage as well, aren't they? Really? Yeah, last like, but one, I think. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. there's only Haas done less than them. I so. When it works, it looks like a fairly decent car, the Alfa Romeo, but... Yeah. My goodness, does it look fragile? I suspect they're going to have a few retirements early season. Yeah, mm. and that's an, that could be another theme as well. We see because all these um, everyone's pushing the envelopes really far. No one with such a short amount of testing, no one really quite knows. Like you can't run the cars enough to to really fully, you know, properly shake them down for no. for for a season like it's such yeah. a short a tiny 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 amount of testing six days of testing is nothing so you really got to show up with you got to hit the ground running and you've got to show up with something really reliable at the start as well as something really quick and that's why you see such big gaps i think in the field because the team the, the lesser teams well you know even even if they could all test until they were blue in the face every 365 days a year you'd still see massive gaps because of the budget difference but I don't know whether it it exasperates the problem or whether it lessens the problem at this point, you know? Mm. So yeah, it's, it's it's really hard to say. I guess like once you once you once that sort of situation is baked into a team, without like a big cash injection, I don't know how like a team like Alpha Romeo are gonna be able to get out of this kind of rut. Mm. So Yeah, I my gut feeling is that I've got a tough season ahead. Especially with uh, the midfield looking as tight as it is at the moment. Um, speaking of, uh, Alpha Terry were next fastest. Uh, they did third most miles of any team, only behind Mercedes and Ferrari. Um, it, it just continued to look like a solid midfield car, I guess. Again, hard yeah. to read too much into that team, but. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. not much to say. Uh, Alpha Alpha Tauri were there. <laughs> That's kind of like... that was sort of doing what Alpha Tauri do, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they kind they of were, they were around. They went a bit like under the radar, didn't they? Really, like mm. they, they weren't struggling to the point that they came on the radar, and they weren't like obliterating the timesheets to the point where they came on the radar either. They just kind of 
turned up and did some laps. <laughs> like, no, nothing really stood out about them, I don't think, at all, did it? No. I, I can't think of anything anyway. Kind of almost made me think that I felt like I'd not seen anything about them at all, all the way through testing, just because they'd kind of, they'd, they'd been that just, not well, not absent, because obviously they, they did do a significant <laughs> number of laps, but it, it's just weird, isn't it, for a team to have done yeah. that many laps and not really Yeah, not really register the interest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But at the same time, is that a good, that could be a good thing. It could be. Exactly. They've sort of quietly kept their noses clean and just got on with the job and not put any sort of show-stopping times up and mm, it's a good point. Appear to have a appear to have quite a reliable car, so we could see ourselves in Bahrain, um, and they could they could absolutely you know they could have just been running their own program. Been you, they might be thinking, goodness, we've got a good, really good car here. Let's just put loads of fuel in it for the entire time. Yeah. just get loads of laps yeah. done. Um, no, so it could well yeah, be. It's that classic thing again. We'll say it again. You just don't know in testing. <laughs> That's, you're right, though. If you think about the teams you saw the most of, like we saw an awful lot of the Alfa Romeo, wasn't particularly for good reasons, but we saw a exactly. lot of it. So maybe not seeing it is is a positive. Yeah. Speaking of teams we saw a lot of for the wrong reasons, yeah. <laughs> McLaren were next fastest. Um, what a turnaround. <laughs> after being arguably the stars of the first test, my goodness. Um, I mean, obviously... Poor Lando was doing the bulk of the testing on his own. Yeah, I don't but, think he would have minded that too much. No, I suppose not. They're always going to be happy for seat time. But it was seat time with some pretty pretty catastrophic uh, brake temperature issues, which basically meant that could only do short runs for the majority of the test. Uh, Zach Brown said their program was heavily compromised by it. They're rushing new parts from the factory as we speak to get them there and get the problem under control by the race weekend but oh, man. to be a fly on the wall in zach brown's office yeah yeah it's again when it worked still looked a pretty quick car but it also felt like i mean the, the amount of times even the short bit of testing i watched live it felt like every time I saw Lando get to turn one, he missed the corner because he just couldn't get the car slowed down in time. Yeah. Well, that's a huge braking issue. Yeah. They're just overheating after like a lap by the looks of it. Wow. Really big problems I've got. So, okay. well, look again, though, they've got a really good aero team at McLaren. They've got um, some of, um, uh, oh, goodness. Uh, it's my favorite book as well. I've forgotten the name of him. Adrian Newey. Adrian got Newey, of, yeah. Got some of Adrian Newey's acolytes yeah. working there. So um, if anyone's going to develop the way out of it in a really quick way, they've got all the manufacturing capability of any Formula 1 team at McLaren. Um, they should show up. They, they, they can go back, look at this, and um, I imagine they'll be doing a lot of laps during uh, on Friday. Yeah. But, you know, they. I have every faith that they can sort it out and bring something bring something decent to the party on, on Sunday. So. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and even if it takes them a race or two to get it under control, it still looks like the potential's there for them to have a quick car for the remainder of the season. And it is a long old season, so. Yeah. Uh, quick ne- and fragile. Quick and fragile. Mm. Next was the third of the A teams and the third one to be a bit anonymous, Aston Martin. Um, again, just seemed to quietly get on with it. They were about in the middle in terms of laps done. Nothing spectacular in terms of lap time, but 
I think they had one stoppage in the last three days of testing for something that seemed not a huge problem. So I don't know. I'm not sure but, what to think of Aston Martin. Yeah, they're, they're the one that's definitely the hardest to read, I think, of all of all the teams because they the car looks like it's got some interesting concepts on it mm. and it looks like it's it looks relatively capable. They've got a very good driver in Sebastian Vettel and they have another driver in Lance Stroll. Um, it, again, like it, it could be that situation of um, they, they've kept their noses clean, they've quietly been running with a bunch of fuel in there and they could be quietly confident to be sort of top half of the midfield. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vettel looked pretty happy. I think, I think these new regulations probably suit what Vettel wants from a car more than the last few years have. Yeah, especially the way they've developed it as well. Yeah, definitely. Like Vettel's titles all came at the sort of blown diffuser, lots of rear downforce sort of time. And you would think that ground effect would sort of play into what he wants from a car a little more. So, Yeah, but a lot of that was clever engine maps as well and him having the balls to keep his foot on the throttle. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So, um, and that's a different game, but... Yeah, like the, the the feeling of the car was probably quite similar through a corner to what these mm. are. So um, yeah, I think I think Vettel's probably feeling quite good about these cars, and they're all saying in the chat he looked happier. So yeah, yeah, it's a good sign. Yeah, and then finally, in terms of lap time, was Williams the only team whose fastest lap didn't come on the third day of the test? Um, they had a pretty spectacular uh, break fire that. Uh, got a bit out of control on, I think it was the second day, um, which Albon got to comment, <laughs> commentate <laughs> on live, which was deeply oh, unfortunate. Yeah, they were like, oh, we've got a special guest in the commentary box. Alex Albon was joining us. And literally, as he started talking, the camera cut to Latifi driving around with the rear on fire, which then oh, just no. kind of melted the back of the car and spun. And Albon was just sort of awkwardly trying to put a brave face on yeah. watching his car catch fire. My goodness. <laughs> Literally yeah. watching your favourite object burn down, isn't it? That's what that is. Yeah, it was yep. very unfortunate. Um, hard oh, to dear. know where Williams are, really. They they were, again, somewhere in the middle in terms of laps done. They, they lost a lot of time to that fire, but they kind of made up for it on the last day. They put in a ton of laps. Um I, I would say here's here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it. Drive a lineup at Williams. I'm not sure I rate it. No, I as much as I like seeing Albon back, I would like um I'd like to see a more experienced head in that yeah. team. I think um, the whole uh, through the whole of all the teams' driver lineups that there's on the whole everyone's got sort of either the teams that don't have sort of the, the teams that have got a not necessarily brilliant driver have usually got a very very good driver alongside them mm-hmm. and this is the only team for me that doesn't have one standout really really good driver yeah i, yeah. I think as well it's it's the one of the lineups least likely to be able to help the team exactly develop yeah. um from a sort of a feedback and, and being able to push in the right direction there's there's not really like a leadership or a development 
mentality with mm. I mean I I could be wrong but I I don't I don't think Albon's got that in him as he No, I mean Albon's had a weird F1 career up to this point anyway, so that's true. That is and, very true. Yeah. Like I I know he brings in that sweet Lavazza money, but I do feel like if if Albon sort of seriously outperforms Latifi this season, Latifi might be looking elsewhere for a seat come the end of the year. Yeah. I'd yeah. I'd much rather see someone like uh well, like a Magnuson. He the the examples there, Hass have kind of shown them how to do a driver lineup in a way, haven't they? I think Yeah, pretty yeah. I mean that's like to me, like that driver lineup's actually one of the more most exciting on the grid this year. Mm. Um Magnuson and Schumacher, I can't wait to see how Schumacher does against Magnuson because we know Magnuson's a, a known quantity, he's a yeah, good driver. Exactly. He's he's been at some of the best teams. You know, he's spent but you forget like this guy was at McLaren for a few years and he beat Button. Mm. You know, like this is a man who was who's been a, who's well known as a really really good driver and it's going to be a challenge for Schumacher to sort of now live up and and fight against someone who 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 you know who's a known quantity who we know is good so yeah um that's one of my probably one of my many battles intra team battles to watch of the year but it's definitely one of the most interesting yeah, yeah. definitely um and that's that is all the teams um, I'm not going to ask you to like, <laughs> unless you want to. I'm not going to ask you to pick an order or anything because it's difficult I enough doing our regular predictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like, if I had to pick one favorite from all that, even that, I mean, you, you kind of do have to. The the team that I'm the most confident will be in the top two is I would say Red Bull. But then, mm-hmm. who else is in the top two from that? It's it's difficult to say because you don't never you never know what Mercedes are up to. Ferrari look really good. Haas have randomly you know put some great times in, um, and then McLaren are, have become a bit of an unknown quantity as well because of mm. their, their performance. So yeah, you can be confident that Red Bull will be right up there. You can be confident that Mercedes will be right up there. I think as well. So that's your, probably your top two in in what order I don't know, and then. Behind that, I mean, even Ferrari could be quickest, you know. So yeah, I, I it's, it's really tough. Ferrari have been my pick up until the last day of testing, but Red Bull seemed to really like flex and everyone on the last day. So I think I think Red Bull Ferrari top two for sure. Potentially, if McLaren can get their problems sorted. Maybe McLaren third fastest ahead of Mercedes, maybe, but hard to say. And behind them, who knows? Yeah, Yeah. even when a top three starts to form itself, no matter who that top three is, I think the remaining teams on the grid will be very tit-for-tat for for a long Mm -hmm. time in the season. Um, Yeah, I think so. It's going to be a very mixed bag, isn't it? Yeah, I think, honestly, the only two I can see, like actually been in risk of falling away at the minute is probably either Alpine or um, Alfa Romeo. I think mm. everybody else is okay. It's, it's, I think just, they're, they're the only two that I could I could see like hitting some major difficulties. Um, Madder than a bag of cats down there. Yeah, but, but I mean, even those two are, you know, good results away from just like, you know, decent point finishes away from staying in the mix. So... It's it's going to be a very interesting one up and down the grid when it comes to um, 
reliability, I think, more than anything. That that's gonna be I think a, as big a factor as any this season is like with some of these cars looking fragile, that might be where you know what makes a difference for a lot of teams. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know what well, there's some storylines to be drawn from this for sure from what everything we've just spoke about. So I'm going to just improvise some right now. Yeah, go for it. Um Red Bull look solid. There's no doubt about that. So that's your first storyline looking yeah. solid. They they're probably the team with every with the biggest expectation on them. So can they live up to that in uh, when we get to the race weekend? Um next storyline Ferrari um they looked good throughout preseason testing, but are suddenly looking a little bit less good. Or are they hiding performance? It again, very very difficult to tell. It's it's hard to put them into position. Mercedes, are they faking it? That's the that's the third storyline <laughs> yeah. for me. Um, and McLaren, can, can McLaren recover? Is the fourth storyline. Hmm. So and then the rest of it is just the fifth storyline is. Goodness knows what else. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Right. Let's not stall anymore. Let's... I I can scarcely believe I'm saying it, but let's make our first predictions of the season. Why are we doing this? Why are we still doing this? Because it's the the format we do. (laughs) People like it. We're insane. Um, Tom, do you want to guide us through this as you so often do? Yes, so for those who are new to us this season or newer to the show at least, um, we have a predictions league where essentially you're asked to make, and we do this as well as we're about to do, but we'll go through five points um, where we'll predict the fastest person in Q3, um, the winner of the race, the first DNF of the race, the number of finishers, and then the position of a random driver that we select each week. Um, you can then join in by going online at backofthegrid.com, register if you haven't already get into your old accounts if you've played this before and uh, yeah, it's easy to play along just submit all five before qualifying starts and beat us like most people do <laughs> yeah well do they though, do they we, did, we finished okay I no, think we, did, we all did alright last year considering yeah. that we do we do these things on a Monday before a race weekend yeah, um, everyone, without seeing any practice yeah. So there there is something to be said for that, I guess. But um yeah. Um so we'll go through hours to give you some inspiration of what not to do. And then <laughs> like I say, you can go online and submit your own. So fastest in Q three. I'm gonna go with Stu first. See that you were the winner out of the three of us last year. You can have the honour of making the first prediction of all of us. Well, I think it will be I do think fastest in Q three will do I think this or not or am I just I'm just I'm guessing that it'll be I think the most educated guess at this point given what we know is Max Verstappen okay so Verstappen is my fastest in Q3 say Magnussen don't be a coward (laughs) (laughs) does that that mean you're uh, going Magnussen then Chris it absolutely does not (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm gonna go Leclerc Oh, you've stolen my thunder a bit there because that's kind of where I was going. Um, I'm I'm a little bit torn between the two Ferrari drivers at the hmm. moment. Um, so just to be different, while it's a little bit up in the air, I'm going to go say science. <laughs> just to be different, 
<laughs> I was originally going Leclerc, but now you've done it. I'm saying science. I think it's uh, wise. I think that's wise to go with different predictions. This, this yeah. early. Yeah. Give it a few yeah. races and we'll start taking it more seriously. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, so winner, Chris, you can go first for winner. Verstappen. Oh, okay. And Stu? Um, I'm going to be Schudenfreud about this and say Perez. Oh, yes. I like that prediction a lot. (laughs) It'll be reliability. I think the the Red Bull's not had enough unreliability yet, so I think they're going to get bitten. You think he's due to come? Yeah. (laughs) Mm, Interesting. I don't know where to go with this now. I'm really torn. I'm going to go for... Crazy one and say Norris Oof. because McLaren somehow get these parts on the car that they want for the brakes and it's a game changer. And the brakes are actually better than ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, first DNF. Um, I'll go first because it's my turn to go first. I used to say Kimmy all the time for this. Need to pick a new target for my uh, blind guessing every week. Mm-hmm. But in seriousness, when I look up and down the grid, there's one place I feel like this is probably going to be heading, and that's Joe. Because Mm. I think a combination of inexperienced driver and potentially fragile car equals first DNF. So sadly, Alpha Romeo is another target. For I th- this year for me. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got against Alpha? I don't know because I do actually quite like the idea of <laughs> Alpha doing well. <laughs> um, I think you've got the right team but the wrong driver. It's Bottas oh, for me. You guys, damn it. Okay. <clears throat> I think you've made it really difficult for me because I was probably going to pick one of those two. Um, instead, I will have to go with... I'm going to say... I think Magnussen. I was going to say, do you want to go for the really mean option and say (laughs) the returning Magnussen? My heart hates me for this. I'd I'd rather not have said Magnussen, but I just think in the interest of us making different predictions for the first one, that's probably the next most obvious one. I'm probably going to be agreeing with you, Tom, for most of this one throughout the season, though. Joe, (laughs) I think, has got, at this point in the season, very much a lot to prove, so... Yeah, our opinions might change as the season goes on, but right now, I, I'd definitely be looking. You're looking at points there with Joe. I think. I mean, in terms of recent F1 experience, you two have probably picked the drivers with the least, at least over the like the last twelve months. So yeah, 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 definitely. Um, number of finishes, Chris. You can go first on this one. Oh man, this is hard. Um, this one is difficult. This one's always difficult early in the year. I think there's going to be quite a few. I'm going to go for... A few finishes or a few retirements. A few retirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, important distinction. I'm going to go for... 15. 15 finishes. Um, I'm thinking something similar, but a little bit more dramatic, because I'm going to go 14. Mm. Oh, God. And then... It sounds like Stu might have been thinking somewhere in the same ballpark with that size. So, Stu, what were you thinking? I'm going to go 16. I don't I don't believe in a world where 13 drivers finish, so it'd be 16. <laughs> yeah. 
So you want to be different, but don't want to go lower, basically. Yeah, want to be different, but can I please not go last for the next one? <laughs> okay, you, you could go first then, random driver. So, Chris, draw the random driver, please. First random driver of the season is Lance Stroll. Oh, God, that's so that's difficult. So in, in arguably the most unknown of the teams <sighs> on the grid. Okay, Jeff gonna, has said 21st here, on a 20-car grid. <laughs> <laughs> here's, what you do, here's what you do in this situation. You just say, you can either say 10th or 11th because either of those have got as much chance of happening as any other. And <laughs> it, we, because we know so little about this car, then it's just down to... Then it's down to driver. So if the Aston is... If both Aston's finished, then probably... Stroll is finishing behind Vettel, I would say. So I'm going to say 11th. Mm-hmm. Okay. For safety. That doesn't necessarily mean I think he will come 11th, but I think given what we know and how little we know, the odds would point me towards the middle of the grid. Because yeah. that's a safe place to put him. That's fair. Makes sense. Do you concur, Chris? That's the question. No. Do we have I an accord? I think that's too high. <laughs> I'm going to go... Oh, no. And again, I've said 15 finishes. Will he finish? Mm, will he finish? Mm, the Aston looks all right in terms of reliability. Uh, I'll say 13th. Oh, that makes a nice choice for me. I've been able <laughs> to go slap bang in the middle and say 12th. So, so none of us think top 10 then? None of us no, think he's I'm getting points there. in his first I, I think I think Vettel potentially would in the car with it being looking like it's somewhere in the middle, but... Slightly unknown. I think I think that car will, but we know from general experience last year that Stroll's off the pace of Vettel, isn't he? So I'd, yeah. I'd put him somewhere two or three places lower. I, I think I see like a ninth or tenth for Vettel, and and then that twelfth for Stroll. I feel like there's going to be a lot of points to be gained early season for just staying in races when people are retiring around you so yeah Yeah, definitely definitely uh yeah and just as a reminder if you want to get involved with this head to backofthegrid.com where you can sign up if you're not already or get into your old account uh, and make sure you do because there's a prize every week for anyone that manages to score a five out of five a perfect weekend let's do some inbox shall we let's do some inbox is uh, keep me saying now. But stay, but stay out. There's something different about that this year. There's a little <laughs> bit of an extra bit of something. Um, okay, I'll go first. Um, low percent lunge says, uh, which, if any, records do you think could be broken this year? Uh, there's an obvious one, and that's eight world titles. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, that's possible? Well, it's, of course it's possible. Do you think it'll it's, happen? It's, I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, Is it probable? Well, when we did our season predictions a week or two ago, I said yes. I'm less confident in that prediction now, but I'm, mm. uh, I still think it's very possible. Yeah. Uh, what, could be? What, what are the other interesting ones? I actually looked this up and I can tell you exactly which records can be broken this season if you'd like to know them. I would love to know that, and so Could, would low percent lunge. Out, um, out of our interest, just sorry, you're probably going to tell me if this is correct or not, mm-hmm. j- just in case you're not. 
can Alonso get close to Raikkonen this year now Raikkonen's retired in terms of races? So there are nine records that can be beaten on the list I've got, and they are all either Hamilton or Alonso. So that probably answers your question. Oh, okay. Go on. So obviously Hamilton can take uh, most uh, Drivers' Championship titles. Hamilton wins. Hamilton could also take most wins in consecutive seasons. He currently holds that record with Schumacher. He can overtake him there. Hamilton can also take most wins at a single Grand Prix, which he also currently co-holds with Schumacher. So if he wins in Hungary or Britain, that'll be his ninth win at one of those. Then, yes, Alonso is on course to take the record for most Grand Prix starts. Um, I think... Italy is when he will tie the record. So the next race, he'll take that record from Alonso. Uh, from yeah. Broikinen, sorry. And so that makes sense because it's not that long since he passed Barrichello, is it? Yeah. That's, um, why, that's why I was thinking he was maybe going to catch Kimi soon. Yep. He will also, in the process, take the record for most laps raced, which is currently 18,621 held by Kimi Raikkonen. Assuming, wow. assuming that he finished. Well, yeah. Races, he then. needs to do... Uh, just shy of 600 laps. So, um, yeah, as long as he's finishing races, you should take that. Uh, Hamilton can also take the record for podiums in consecutive seasons, another one he co-holds with Schumacher currently. He can take the record for most podiums at home Grand Prix off Alain Prost. Um, And then he can also take most pole positions at a single Grand Prix. He, if he gets pole at Austria or Hungary, he'll take that record. Oh, and also he oh. he only needs to do two races, sorry, three races to uh, hold the most Grand Prix with the same constructor, which is another one that Schumacher currently oh, has wow. that Hamilton's about to take off him. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> but that really is it. That They are the records that will go, and they are all Hamilton and Alonso ones. You know wow. one that that could technically get done again? but I don't think will, this is one I, I don't think we'll get near, is the most wins in a single season by a driver. Because yeah, that's the one that... that that's the one that Hamilton's still not even gotten during the Mercedes dominance era as well. Vettel holds that, doesn't he? Uh, it tie, it's tied with Schumacher, if I remember right. They've both got 13. Ah, uh, okay. But the, the, I think, well, I think technically the stipulation... With it is Schumacher's technically got it because he did 13 in less races. It was something like yeah, a 17 percentage. race season, so it's a high yeah, percentage. Yeah. And Vettel's also got 13, but it was in one of the longer seasons while it was at Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Verstappen that, could Verstappen could totally do that this year. I, I mean, it's, pl- it's, or Hamilton. it's plausible, but I think I'd, I'd, I with the how up in it in the air like all the different cars are and stuff and and like the fluctuation I expect to see in terms of like podiums, I don't think it's something I'd, I'd be surprised if anyone gets like into double digit number of wins, just a single driver, honestly, this season. I, I, think, I, think, I, I agree with that. Well, I, I hope you're right. Surprised. I hope you're right. I, 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 yeah. I, I hope I'm right, but I, I do think that like, I hope I'm right. And I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a feeling it'll be like nine or less for the yeah. highest number of wins this season. Yeah. Cool. Should we yeah. do the next one? Go for it. Oh, oh no, yeah, sorry. Um, they were asking, which do you think could be broken? Did you guys answer that? 
I, th- I mean, all of Alonso's come from him just being there and finishing races, so he'll probably take all those from Kimi. Um, yeah. Uh, the wins in consecutive seasons will definitely happen. Um, Hamilton winning at Britain to take the most at a single Grand Prix is, I would say, pretty likely. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the eighth championship, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly... 50-50 on that right now. Yeah, I am rooting for him. I'd like to see I'd like to see him break that record. I want to see, I don't want it to be a joint. I don't like it when records are shared. Stewie's <laughs> <laughs> an overall winner. I do. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a uh, what's the word? Um I All like or nothing. I, I deal in extremes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. next one then. Um Jose says, assuming the new error regulations work as intended, which race in the calendar do you think will become most improved? I'm personally hoping for Mexico. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I mean, which, well, Monaco? Yeah. See, I'm not sure Monaco is fast enough a circuit for the new aero regs to or be that wide enough. effective or wide enough <laughs> yeah. more to the point, yeah. Um... Uh, we've had some, you know, it's funny because we've had some good races this last couple of years at circuits that you wouldn't necessarily expect to. I think um, the Dutch Grand Prix yes. might, might improve. Yes, that's a good that, one. That's a really yeah. good one. Yeah, and that's, that's the one. sort of track that this should really, really make a difference at. But we I, won't know until we go there. In the I summer. think that's the one that needs most improvements as well, based on yeah. last year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Silverstone could be fun as well. Like Silverstone, although we we do have good races at Silverstone, it is a very fast circuit. And if they can stay close together through corners like, you know, Maggots and Beckett's cool. and Cops and stuff. Like, oh, man, that'd yeah. be crazy to watch, wouldn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> could be exciting. Could be. Any more? Uh, I mean, I think you picked the right answer, honestly. Zanvor is the one that Zanvor. needs it most and hopefully it will work with. Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, Sarah says, "What do you think will be the most unexpected fight up and down the field over the length of the season? Um, some team fighting not to be last, etc. So, what's going to be the most mm, sort of elbows out unexpected fight? Unexpected fight. Mm. Maybe Hassan Alpine could be like, a, or Hassan Aston Martin could be an interesting like. I was, attack. yeah, I was gonna say like Hass, like in being in the fight for best of the rest kind of thing. I think could be, could be on the cards. Yeah, or like we could get another McLaren, Ferrari. Is that unexpected at this point? I, I would say probably. I can, yeah. I'd I'd like to think it's Ferrari going to be fighting Red Bull for first rather than McLaren for like third or fourth. Hmm. Or maybe it's McLaren and Mercedes fighting. Yeah, actually, that's a good that point. That could be a massively unexpected fight Ooh, the field that we're I, not expecting. I could go with that. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I like that. I I think it's the... I'm going to get so, so much hate for this when it leaves my mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think... Buckle up. <laughs> yeah, buckle up, people, because this is a big one. I think it's that George Russell will be fighting more with the teams ahead of Mercedes than Lewis will. Ooh, wow! I like that. It's definitely unexpected. That would be yeah. spicy. 
Hmm. Or, there you have it. I mean, like just the fact that he will be as on pace as Lewis is probably enough to upset some people. So to suggest that, yeah, I mean, he yeah, will there are uh, be two, more involved. Two, I think there are two sets of quite extreme fans in Formula One at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, I think the flip side of that would be equally surprising, though, if Russell was have like has a bit of a a Gasly Albon sort of season and he's fighting like the top end of the midfield rather than the people at the front. I think that would be equally surprising for completely different reasons. Mm. Don't see it happening, but yeah, you never don't know. Really, you know. Don't rule anything out. <laughs> no. Uh, next from Ian Bellis with the new race director this year and drivers going over the line at the exit of turn four, assuming it means at Bahrain, do you see them being called out for it? Can we expect more consistency with track limits? Yes, please. I'll take that, please. Thank you. <laughs> I'd I'd say yes. We'll see more uh, strictness in terms of that and consistency. Yeah, I mean they I mean, were all making their own track at turn four in testing because no one's policing it during testing, so they would basically do whatever they wanted there. So they're not going to be trying <laughs> it on as much. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 all for that as well. Um, yeah. I can't remember which of the two new race directors is the one that's renowned for being very strict on track limits, but um, I'm hoping that is a general, like, uh, unified front from the two of them this season. Yeah. Uh, The next one is Emmett Nugent saying, uh, there seemed to be a lot of hype around the Williams design at the start, but a poorish showing in testing. How hopeful are you of a positive start to their year? You know, there's been so many years of Williams just being so average at this point that I'm kind of I'm I hate to say it, but I'm a little bit indifferent. Like I don't see Williams in the same way. Maybe I'm a bit young, but I don't see Williams in the same way that I see teams like McLaren. Or Red Bull, like I, I'm, I'm, I'd be much more interested in Red Bull if they were at the back of the grid, probably. But like, <laughs> I'm just kind of, they've been in that position so long, and they don't seem to be doing too much to, to, to get out of there. So without sort of upsetting any Williams fans, I'm just a little bit like, I'm tired of seeing them there, and I don't expect much more of them at the moment. So I, honestly, I, I'm a mm. bit indifferent. I've also been burned by having hope for Williams before in recent years. So <laughs> I'm hesitant to get too hopeful. Like I, I was definitely, I would have liked to have seen a lot more from them during testing. Um, I don't think like they've spent a few years being solidly the slowest team until last year when Haas took that off them. Uh, I don't think any one team probably going to be that this year, um, at least mm. not on pace, maybe on reliability, but certainly not on pace. So I think it's going to be they're going to be in the mix a bit more, but I don't have enormous hopes for them, at least not at the start of the yeah. season. Tom, what do you think? I've got an interesting, just sort of secondary question off the back of what you two have just said, actually, and that is how much of both of your feelings towards that team do you think has come from the Williams family now not? been any part of yeah, it anymore. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big part of it. For sure, that's a big part of it for me. Yeah. 
It it doesn't have that family feel to it like it had in the past. In the past, it felt like a they felt like a, a true privateer and a proper, you know, proper family run team. And now it seems they're just they're just another. They're, they're going to be just. It feels like they're just going to be just another team that's going to get passed from conglomerate to conglomerate, you know, mm. to investment fund to investment fund, to try and sort of boost business for them rather than actually be a very, very good Formula One theme, Formula One team. Having said all that, if they rock up at the first race and they are in a position to win races, I would be tripping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would Because I love an underdog. And for them to be in the mix and be doing stuff, I would be over the moon. It'd be brilliant. But at the moment where they are, um, I just... They're not doing... Williams as a team, not... Uh, off, on and off track are not doing enough to make me care about them. That's where I'm at. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, I, that's fair. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I think part of that for me is just the fact that it's they've lost some of their identity with the change of ownership and they've not like kind of carved out a new identity of who the team is going to. Like There's just certain elements that have gone since the Williams family have now completely moved away that like have not been replaced in any way it, and I don't know it's become a bit of a empty shell for me almost like I've definitely lost a lot of the feelings I had towards them because I've, I've kind of followed them for years since like the early 90s or whatever when I first started watching the sport they were always one of the teams that like drew my attention being a British team and I feel like I've like, kind of lost that that attachment to them now yeah like which I, is sad I, but I want to be excited about Williams but I don't feel like they've given me a reason to be excited about them yeah. for a while now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, in answer, I'm not, I'm indifferent, Emma, <laughs> because of that exact reason. It's made, that has made me indifferent. <laughs> I, don't, I used to always be hopeful that they have a good start to the season, but yeah, my, my eggs are sort of, far more in like the McLaren basket and yes I do dare say it the Ferrari basket right now <laughs> I'm I'm joining the dark side with Jeff this podcast is going to change I think you know we are we have slowly over the course of the winter joined the dark side haven't we yeah. we've become Wait, what's we've happening become Ferrari fans. but then that <laughs> car does that car looks like something that a Sith Lord would drive, so I'm, I'm quite all right with it. It's amazing the difference a good-looking car and a likable driver lineup can make, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. Exactly. Exactly. Um, last one then, last one this week. Um, Toby Godfrey says, do you think Merck had some idea of the issues they have now regarding poor poisoning and the B-spec car before Bahrain? Yep, yeah, and... Um, Hence Russell being pretty vocal on active suspension. Usually drivers being in limelight are prompted to bring these suggestions to the public eye, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Garrett says, I think F1 is more likely to bring back front rear interconnection suspension before um, active suspension as it seems less programmable from what I've read. But how cool would it be if the teams could use active suspension in quality to then get the absolute fastest lap and then be, have, be forced to use a fixed ride height for the race? Um, hmm. I d- so th- there. yeah my short response to that is i don't believe active suspension is gonna be in- anywhere near f1 for a while it's it's way too expensive and complicated in a time they're trying to cut costs mm. and proper full active suspension 
way too expensive. Don't think it's going to happen. Mm. Um, is it? I yeah, I think so. In 2022, is it? Given like all the sensors and stuff that are already on the car, uh, it's really just actuators, right? At the level it would need to work at for Formula One, yes. And I guess it's not so much the overall expense. It is even within like a budget cap era, I feel like that is an area where the likes the of research, Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari will be able to just blow the smaller teams out of the water with it. Yeah. Um, Frick, I think there's maybe slightly more chance of us seeing. No. Um, do not think back no because because they got rid of it because mercedes had the best system and it was working really well for them and they were trying to slow mercedes down they're not going to bring that back so mm, that, they? yeah because they're just going to give mercedes a big advantage again by doing that yeah I, I think the problem with something like this as well is it's not easy to or cheap to standardize to give yeah. it them as like a spec part um so it's, it's difficult for them to introduce reintroduce anything like that in in that sort of fashion so I think I'd lean more towards Chris's side of because of that and then other factors, it's more likely that we wouldn't see it than that we would. And Yeah, I, I agree. I, well, I don't think either are coming. Um, no. But, I, but my, my argument is that I don't think active suspension is, is the same challenge for teams as, as it was in 1994. <laughs> no, that's for sure. It's definitely not the same development challenge, but I think there'd still be... A, Significant financial elements to it, probably, like what Chris was saying. And I, I yeah, do think sure. as well, like as much as the the tech side of things is one of the big reasons I love F one. There has been something quite nice about seeing all these teams turn up at testing, and they've all got this poor poising problem, and them just having to kind of set up their way out of the problem. They, they yeah. haven't been able to just throw money at technology to make the problem yeah. go away. They're having to. Yeah. work with what they've got yeah. kind of and it's it's almost like a, a wordle but for a <laughs> formula one car isn't it you've got all the tools there you know what and you, you can you can make little guesses to and and see what improves what until you eventually get a result that's literally <laughs> formula one suspension is wordle it's, <laughs> it's like me on a Gran Turismo 7 completely ruining my car by adding too many performance parts to it and too then trying turbos. to yeah then trying to tweak settings to get my way out of it yeah, yeah. turbos and tires to hot tip for anyone playing Gran Turismo at the moment turbos and tires just put the best tires you can on it and whack a turbo oh, on it tires make a world of ruin difference. the ruin the ruin the ruin the game you, you say the- that i i am um, <laughs> This we're going way off topic now. I put a supercharger on a um Shelby Mustang, and now I'm getting even with slick racing tires, I'm getting wheel spin in third gear at like 120 miles yeah. an hour on the banking at Daytona, and that's not what you want. No, yeah. that's because you've got the chassis from a 60s muscle car. <laughs> that is my problem, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and just to keep this tangent going. If you want to solve a problem in Forza, just turn it into an all-wheel drive vehicle. Problem uh, solved. Yeah, that's, I wish I had that's that the option. Quick, that's the quick fix in any Forza game is install all-wheel drive. Understeer, all-wheel drive. Oversteer, all-wheel, all-wheel drive. drive. <laughs> yeah, all-wheel drive, some nice tyres and a turbo, as you point out. Problem solved. <laughs> well, I think that um, I think that brings us to a conclusion then, doesn't it? 
Yeah, that's that a that computer can become <laughs> that king yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, that wraps us up unbelievably for the first preview of the season. As we said earlier, if you want to get involved with the predictions league, just go to the back of the com and you can see how to do all of that. We will also be setting up uh if we haven't already looking at you Tom a mm. back of the grid league on the official F1 fantasy league which I haven't looked at yet I'm told it's uh even more complicated than it was before so that's oh. something I'm really looking forward to if um, that doesn't take your fancy remember that there's the grid rivals one that we're now partnered with yes um, if you go to backofthegrid.com forward slash fantasy you can see where to yep. get signed up with grid rival as well and we'll be what? doing little updates on how all of those things are going throughout the season yep um what I will attempt to do, so hopefully as you're listening to this, is that slash fantasy link will take you to a page where you can basically pick whichever one you want to do. Um, so you can click a link to the F1 and it'll take you to our league in the F1 official one or a grid rival button and that will take you to sign up to grid rival and join us there. Um, or both. So yeah. Or, or yeah, or do both. Why not both? Not both. But first of all, do the predictions league. Do the prediction Most season. importantly. Most importantly. Yeah, that's more important than anything. Far more important. <laughs> and that is all the things. No, it's not. We're on all the social things. Search back the grid on Twitter and whatnot. You'll find us. You all know where we are. But yes, we will be back in a week's time to review the first race of the season and find wow. out who's been lying about how fast they actually are. See how many sandbags have been out there. <laughs> So until then, thank you for joining us and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.